Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where each week, Pastor Jeff Cranston explores biblical theology that provides practical life applications in an understandable way. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Tiffany Coker, and with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we're on a quest to learn what the Bible teaches about theological topics that many Christians find challenging, confusing, and out of their reach. And we're always aiming to do this in a way that applies to the lives we lead. We do this because we agree with what John Calvin says, doctrine is rightly received when it takes possession of the entire soul and finds a dwelling place and shelter in the most intimate affections of the heart. We want to help you to be strong in your faith doctrinally, knowledgeable in and of the word theologically, and to grow in your love for Jesus and others exponentially. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, we want to thank you, our listeners, for leaving us ratings and reviews. We really are grateful for each one because that is what helps other people hear about Kitchen Table Theology. We're also very grateful for our partnership with Columbia International University. For 100 years, CIU has educated people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. They offer undergraduate, graduate, and seminary programs, both on campus and online. You can check that all out at ciu.edu. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is going to give us an overview of the Old Testament book of Leviticus. We will go ahead and dive in. Thanks so much for joining us at the table. And hello again, Kitchen Table Theologians, as always. Thanks for joining us. Today, we'll spend this podcast doing a brief overview of the Old Testament book of Leviticus. It's the one we've all been waiting for. <laughs> this is usually the book yes. when people start out in January of every year having resolved to read through the Bible where the journey ends. Reading Leviticus can be very heavy sledding, but once you get familiar with the book and the little bit of the terrain of the book, it can really be profitable. It can be encouraging. And yet I'll go out on a limb here and say it's quite possible it's the least known and understood book of the Old Testament, maybe even the Bible. I agree. When I hear someone talking about Leviticus, which let's be All honest, that does not yeah. happen very often for me. For years, my first thought was always, okay, well, that's just the book about all the laws for the Old Testament oh. Israelites, and it really doesn't apply to me anymore. But once I actually studied the book of Leviticus, I learned that there is so much more to it. And mm. honestly, it taught me a lot about the character of God that I think I didn't really know before diving deep into the book of Leviticus. Well, good thoughts there, Tiff. And Kitchen Table Theologian, maybe a few true stories here that will help get us started. Tiff, let's share some stories about treasure finds. I love these, and I know you love these. You watch these treasure hunting shows. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, okay, so these true-to-life stories that we're going to share today, we found on a website. It's called atlasobscura.com, and we can link that for you in the show notes. It is an article titled Six Unexpected Treasures found in curious places, which is a really interesting article. Like I said, we'll link it for you if you want to go and read through all of those. Yeah, because there are six of the stories, and we're going to share three real quick here. Okay, first one. In 2018, at a Goodwill store in Austin, Texas, a marble bust of a dour-looking man caught this one antique dealer. Her name was Laura Young. It caught her eye. She really liked the look of him. She bought it for $34.99, yeah. called it Dennis, 
<laughs> After the self-obsessed character Dennis Reynolds in the TV show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So Laura Young, she guessed that the statue was old, but never could have imagined that it was a 2,000-year-old original. A Greek sculpture expert at Sotheby's deduced that Dennis was actually a Roman bust of Germanicus, father of the infamous madman Caligula. But that wasn't all to the story. Young learned that the bust had been stolen mm. during World War II. So most likely a GI looted the bust in Germany, brought it back to the United States, and somehow it eventually ended up at Goodwill. <laughs> so Young decided she's going to try to return it to Germany. But of course, sorting all of this out to get it back would take years. It's been at the San Antonio Museum of Art for a few years. But Dennis is finally going to return home to Germany later this year. Oh, that's a good story. And uh, speaking of World War II, the Nazi threat had Jewish owners of a high-end English gown shop worried. So two brothers, Eric and Victor Bradley, they ran the business at a seaside town in England called Brighton. And the shop back in those days, in the 30s and 40s, was sometimes frequented by the Clementine Churchill, Winston Churchill's wife, other members of the royal family. So this is quite the shop. And they wanted to be sure their family had the means to flee if German forces marched on England, being a seaside town. They would have been on the first wave of assault if the Germans had landed on English shores. So before these two brothers were called into service in the British Armed Forces, they stashed 30 wads of five and one pound notes, totaling 130,000 pounds, which today is over $2 million in, yeah, it's worth $2 million U.S. dollars today. Now, I did some further reading on this, Tiff, and because the story- yes, I want to know what happened. <laughs> yeah, the story on Atlas Obscura, that's all it said, and, but they did have a couple of links in there. So the current owners of that building is now an outfitting or outfitters like for hiking and so forth. That's how they found it. They were renovating the store. And as they began to peel the walls away, here all this money comes falling out, falling stacked out. in, in watts. <laughs> and so it's being determined now. They're trying to determine who is actually the owners of this money. Is it the people who found it? Is it family members of the Bradleys? Inquiring minds want to know. But no. <laughs> that's as far as I know, that's where the story is right now. But yeah, the equivalent of two million dollars stashed in their walls. Wouldn't you love to do that one That'd day? That'd be fun. Yeah, I've never had that happen before. I did find a 1919 penny one time when oh. we were renovating my house, but that's <laughs> not about it. Not quite the same. All right, one last story. Growing up, this girl named Ellen Kelly was never allowed to play her Aunt Nora's piano. But then Aunt Nora passed away. The family heirloom came up in a 1992 family estate sale, and Kelly got it for $25. She's had this piano more than 25 years, and she finally discovered why the piano had always sounded so weird. She opened it up, and hidden inside of it, she found 110 vintage baseball cards. 
hiding in there, including a Babe Ruth rookie card, which I know a few people in my family who would like to have that. Oh, we would all (laughs) like to have that. Yes. Knowing their sister's penchant for throwing things out, Aunt Nora's brothers had likely stashed these collectibles inside of the piano decades ago. And so even this lady, Ellen Kelly, she had the piano for over 20 years before she found them hidden inside the piano. She eventually auctioned off all of the cards. This was in 2019. And the Babe Ruth rookie card sold for $130,000, which is not a bad return on a $25 piano. Yeah, I love stories like that. I think we all do. Again, if you'd like to read a few more, we've linked the article in the episode notes. So the question here, Dad, is why did we take all the time to just tell those stories? Oh, I just think we didn't have anything better to do today, and everybody <laughs> likes a good story. Well, those stories all have one thing in common. Treasures were found in obscure places. That reminds me of the book of Leviticus. Uh, amidst all the rites and the laws and the rituals, we stumble upon some of the deepest truths regarding God's relationship with us. It's a great picture for us, the treasures found in obscure places. Let's jump in to the book of Leviticus. Let's cover some of the details. Who wrote it? When was it written? Why was it written? Give us some of those details. Well, the notes of my New American Standard Bible, which is my preferred translation, gives us the answers to those questions. And by the way, I'm often asked what translation of the Bible I use and why. So I did a little research all the way back in episode 29. It took me a while to find it yesterday, but in episode 29, and if you're new to us here at Kitchen Table Theology, uh, you might want to give it a listen. It's a pretty brief podcast I did on on that topic of what Bible I use and why. So if that interests you, I invite you to go back there and join us at episode 29. And spoiler alert. His favorite Bible is the New American Standard <laughs> yes. Bible. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly this. So now you might not have to go to episode 29, but no, I, I give some reasons why on there. And it's, I think I looked, it was like 13 or 14 minute long episodes. It's very brief. Anyway, being part of the Pentateuch, Leviticus was written by Moses. So we're in the third of the five books of the Pentateuch. We've done Genesis, Exodus, and now today Leviticus. The name Leviticus actually comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint. And the word Leviticus means simply relating to the Levites. The Levites were the priestly class of the Jewish people. As far as authorship, Leviticus 1.1 says, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him. And in over 50 places in Leviticus, it is said the Lord spoke to Moses. So the author is Moses. The date for the writing of Leviticus appears to be somewhere between 1446 and 1406 B.C. And that sort of leads us to why was it written? Well, it's filled with instructions and laws which were given to help the Israelites worship and live as God's holy people. Holiness is a big theme throughout the book. They are given very specific instructions and regulations regarding everything from hygiene to special holy days. And there's also a number of very specific commands that are given to the Levitical priesthood. Okay, so this book of Leviticus has 27 chapters. Can you just give us a brief idea of how that is laid out? 
Yeah, I think generally it's laid out chapter one through chapter six, verse seven, deal with the sacrifices to be made in, in the Jewish religious system. And from chapter six, verse eight to chapter 10, you read about the things relating to the priests, chapters 11 through 15, deal with various laws from hygiene to ritual cleansing. The day of atonement is chapter 16, and then all the feasts that the Israelites would celebrate, they're covered in chapters 23 to 27. I ran across a quote recently that says, Genesis shows us humanity ruined, Exodus shows us humanity redeemed, and Leviticus shows us humanity worshiping. Mm -hmm. And I know I said this at the beginning, when you think about the book of Leviticus, you don't really think of worship. You think of the rules, the regulations, the religious things that God put in place for the Israelites that on the surface don't really seem to apply to many of us today as Protestant evangelical Christians living in the 21st century. Yeah. So am I off in thinking that? And that is that I know a lot of us probably think that way, but that probably is a little bit off. <laughs> well, I think that's how a lot of us approach this book. And again, the theme of the book is holiness. And specifically, God's holiness and all the sacrifices in this book, which you read a lot about sacrifices and how to do sacrifices and what to do, what not to do. All the sacrifices that this book talks about point to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of this is pointing to Christ. So we see a foreshadowing of Jesus on virtually every page. Leviticus 8, the 8th, 9th, and 10th chapters discuss the role of a priest who was a man representing God to the people and the people to God. So we're even seeing there the priest foreshadowing Christ. So maybe if we start to think of that when we come to the book of Leviticus, that I can pretty much find Christ on every page there, I think that changes the way we approach Leviticus. Exactly. Every time I read different parts of the law or all of these sort of rules and regulations that are laid out for us, what I, the conclusion I come to is the law really shows us how much we need Jesus. Right. Um, That's why it's there. Yes. Why it's there. So yeah. So if you were looking for the foreshadowing of Jesus in all of the book of Leviticus, I agree that gives us a different perspective mm -hmm. in how we're reading that. Okay. You mentioned holiness as a major theme here. Maybe it would be beneficial for all of us listeners here if you touch on some of the major theological themes that we're going to see played out. You mentioned feasts in Leviticus 23. Mm -hmm. So for New Testament Christians, you can see how these feasts, which are a part of Israel's yearly calendar, how those even point the way to Jesus. Yeah, relating to that one, that relates to Passover and Christ's Passover lamb and his death corresponded. To the Passover, Jesus' resurrection corresponds to the Feast of the First Fruits, along with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So clearly, God was giving his Old Testament saints, his Old Testament people, temporal events, which were all in place to help prepare the way for his son. So we really should be reading Leviticus, as you said, with an eye towards Christ, mm -hmm. all that he has done and even all that he still will do. So when we read it that way, it's easier for us to see how that's going to make us more in tune to the book, not view it as a historical book that has no implications for us, 
And it can even begin to become a little bit more alive to us, if I can use that expression. As with every Bible book, it has major themes throughout. You mentioned holiness again, but why don't you walk us through some of the other ones? Yeah, we'll do that and start to wrap things up for today. The themes that tend to rise to the top as we read this book are God's holiness and mercy, our sinfulness, our fallen condition, and blood. And so let's just run through these real quick. So God's holiness and mercy. Leviticus 19.2 is, I think, the key verse of the book, which says, be holy because I am holy. And that refrain is repeated throughout the book. God is holy and he expects his people to be holy. And if any book teaches us, any Bible book teaches us the, the utter need to be holy, it's Leviticus. And to a Western church, an American church today that I think, again, I'm speaking in generalities here, but we tend to minimize holiness and maximize our assumed relationship with God. A lot of people running around just sort of, I'm good. Of course, I believe in God. That should be enough. Well, Leviticus is an antidote to that. The holiness codes, and there is like endless bloodshed in this book, <laughs> but it teaches that God will not relinquish his demand for our holiness. He's just, and he can't turn his back on our sin. Nevertheless, his mercy meets the demands of his holiness, and the book of Leviticus tells us how he does that through the sacrificial system. So there's God's holiness and mercy. Then secondly, there's our sinfulness. And in the light of his holiness and mercy, we see our own sinfulness and our selfishness. And nowhere is this really more colorfully painted than the death of Nadab and Abihu. They were two priests who offered what the Bible calls strange fire. And they were consumed because they failed to treat God as holy. And the testimony of their death, that's in Leviticus 10, along with all the laws required that Leviticus lays out, should teach us that we can't live just by keeping the law, and Leviticus 18 touches on that, but rather we live by trusting in the mercy and the grace that God has provided for us. So he is our life, and his provision of a sacrificial system in the Old Testament is the means by which we live and relate to him because Christ fulfilled that, and now we relate to God through Christ, who is our sacrifice. And that reminds me, you're preaching through Romans right now. And mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, you preached out of Romans 5 and the verse, I won't remember which verse it is, but it was in Romans 5, where sin increased, his grace abounded all the more. Yeah. Le the book of Leviticus just shows us we are sinful. We could never measure up to God's holiness. But even in our sin, he gives us grace and mercy and provides this sacrificial system for them. And then later on, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. But yeah. I love that even in Leviticus, you you know find a verse from the New Testament that says the same thing. Yeah. And Paul, in the first five chapters of Romans, talks so much about the law and our inability to keep the law. And he's referring to much of what, to pretty much everything that the book of Leviticus is about. So we've got right. our sinfulness, and then we've got the third of the four themes that we'll just touch on today is our own fallen condition. For instance, sin separates us from God. We Hopefully we understand that, but sin isn't the only thing that separates 
us from God. Or maybe you can put this next thing underneath of the umbrella of sin. But our, even our own corrupted physical bodies separate us from God. Leviticus 13 explains that bodily discharges make us unclean and consequently unacceptable to God. And that's all we'll say about that. But we can't enter God's presence in some uncleanness for for human beings who are, we live in a day and age where people are very preoccupied with self and self-care and people have to have a day off of work. It's a self-care day. This, all this should humble us greatly. So just for example, bad breath, body odor, constipation, skin lesions, dandruff, all other forms of bodily dysfunction reminds us that we are in a fallen condition and we are imperfect and we are unclean according to God. And under the Old Testament law, these sorts of things would keep you from God, whose holiness and cleanliness is absolute. He's pure and we're not. And apart from Christ, even our humanness in his fallen condition separates us from God. Yes, the book of Leviticus very clearly shows us God is perfect. God is holy. We are not. We are sinful. We are unclean. But yet throughout the book, we see God is not giving up on his people. He's not giving up on us because of that. Instead, he's working uh, to draw near to his people. And through he gives all of the sacrificial system, all of that in the book of Leviticus in order for the Israelites to still be close to, in their unclean condition, mm-hmm. still be close to a holy God. Yep, we'll see. Finally, you mentioned blood. Do we even want to go there? <laughs> oh, yeah, we got to go there. Blood is a major theme in Leviticus. And to put it bluntly, I read one, one author when I was researching this. He said, blood soaks the pages of Leviticus. And it, it really should be impossible to read Leviticus without coming away with a greater sense of our own sinfulness before God. And at the same time, we ought to be struck by the way that all these blood offerings where the life of an animal is substituted for the life of a person, it reminds us of the ultimate sacrifice and the blood that speaks a better word for us than all of the sacrifices, and that's the blood of Christ. So because of our sin, God required blood, and yet he he never abandoned us to our own demise, he provided a way of sort of re-entry and reestablishment of the relationship that we had with him in the first couple chapters of Genesis. And every sacrifice you read about in Leviticus is a reminder, God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him, which is through a blood sacrifice. And what is pictured and talked about in Leviticus is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're very grateful for that. Very grateful. At Kitchen Table Theologians, if you want to go back, we have, I should have looked up the episode. I'm sorry. I can link it for you in the show notes. Yeah. Justification justification and sanctification, when the difference between those two words, which we don't have time to get into now, but knowing what I've learned about those two words, you can really see that throughout all of Leviticus. God is choosing to declare us righteous because of what for us, Jesus has done on the cross, but sanctification is still a process of us working and God purifying us. So I do love how you can see that even back in Leviticus through all of that. So thank you, dad, for sharing with us about Leviticus and learning that 
so much more to it than just the laws and the rules and regulations. Uh, justification is episode 54. Sanctifica sanctification is episode 55. So that made that so yes, easy. There's your challenge. See, thank you. <laughs> there's your challenge, Kitchen Table Theologian. See if you can listen to those two episodes and how they fit into Leviticus. And there you go. That'll be good. All right. Anything else on Leviticus we need to know or is that it? That's it. Perfect. Thank you all for listening today. We're always eager to hear from you. You can email us anytime at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. Please review and rate this podcast. Bestow multiple stars, especially on Spotify yes, and iTunes. It really does help people find Kitchen Table Theology. We mentioned several times today of things we will put in today's episode notes, so be sure to check those out. You can always head on over to jeffcranston.com for more information about Dr. Cranston, his books, sermons, leadership notes, and blog posts. Lord willing, we'll be back next week with another episode diving into the gospel according to Luke. So there it is. Now go deeper. And until next time, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, please check out our show notes. If you have a question from today's podcast, kindly email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.